Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Welcome back to another episode of the Sega Talk Podcast. I'm your host, George, and with me is Barry. Hello. And today we're going to be blasting off, or I guess racing around the laps in the futuristic sci-fi F-Zero GX. I know people are probably saying right now, like, why are you guys talking about a Nintendo-published game? Well, we'll get into the history of the game and the development, but this episode was actually brought to you by our Patreon. You want to tell them more about this, Baron? Yes. So this is from Tyler Olu. I hope I got that correct. And he wanted us to cover this game, and we obliged. He's also uh, going to pick picking another one pretty soon, so be on the lookout for that, I believe, next month. But um, here are his thoughts on F-Zero. So he said... F-Zero may not have been my introduction to the series, but it certainly made me a fan. I don't know if any game will be able to capture the same sense of speed again. It's certainly unrivaled in that sense. The team at Sega poured more love and respect into the F-Zero series than Nintendo itself, going above and beyond in creating the wild world of GX. I even got to play a few races in the arcade version at Canada's Wonderland, which managed to take a traditionally console-based experience and really make it feel at home in arcades. And if you guys didn't know, we don't make any money off of YouTube on this. So if you guys want to support the podcast, you guys can check us out on patreon.com slash Sega Bits. Uh, next time, the next episode, we're going to have Yakuza Zero. So if you want your memories read, it's only a dollar. So check out our tiers. And if you uh, love the show, support us. Share the show with other Sega fans. Uh, we always appreciate all of that love we get from you guys. Um, so let's talk, since this is the first time and probably the only time we're going to talk about F-Zero on this podcast, I mm-hmm. want to hear about your history with the franchise, your thoughts as a Sega fan about F-Zero and what you think about it now. It's kind of like been dormant. It's a very Sega franchise because, you know, we don't have sequels anymore. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I never had an SNES growing up. I had friends who owned, I think I had more friends that owned NESs than SNESs, and those that did did not own F-Zero, but I I feel like I've played this at one point. It might have been a, a rental from a friend's house. It might have been at a like daycare, because I did go to an after-school place that had an SNES, um, but I remember it because it was the only other game to my memory that looked like Mario Kart, um, but it actually looked cooler, in my opinion. Um, I, I I thought it looked cool. I probably didn't play it all that much. Um, however, when this game came out, I did not own a GameCube, but I did um, seek this game out very quickly once I got a Wii, because the Wii, of course, is backwards compatible with GameCube. So I went out and bought all the, the Sega GameCube titles, including this one, and... At the time, I honestly, I think I actually thought it was a Sega franchise, or I thought it was like a unique title or something to that effect. Um, It didn't really cross my mind that this was uh, Sega really having a go at a Nintendo 
franchise. Um, and so looking back, it's it's kind of crazy that this happened, but it makes perfect sense if you uh, follow Sega's arcade goings-ons and their history with that. So, yeah, with me, it was like I never heard of F-Zero. I did have it super nintendo growing up because uh i had both so i guess i was spoiled Uh oh <laughs> everybody be jealous um yeah right. i i never bought this game but i remember that like at school we would always trade carts with people and uh mm. i let a kid borrow my uh, i forgot what game it was it had, it had to be like mega man, mega man x2 i think or something that i really mm-hmm. wanted back and he let me borrow f-zero and he never gave me back my game so I was stuck with F Zero, and growing up, I would never, never like when I was really, really young, never play racing games because, like, I always thought they were predictable. You just go around laps and stuff, right? So I'm like, ugh, right. I could be playing a Mickey Mouse game or another adventure platformer game, and so I was stuck with this game, and I would play it, and I, I don't know, I really liked the music in it. It was really like unique at the time, kind of reminded me more of what Sega did than Nintendo does. It was like hard rock music super sci-fi it was like pseudo 3d everything we kind of know what am2 was doing like six years before this right but i wasn't old enough to know about that so it was kind of mind-blowing here but they were kind of you know this kind of reminds me as the closest uh nintendo franchise got to sega you know like i don't know i want to say they were ripping them off because like there wasn't a sci-fi racer at sega but the whole rock style uh, yeah, yeah, in the neo punk. I this is not on the notes, but I'll just ask you a question. If you could do like a baseball player, you know, like sports where they trade players. If we were to trade a Sega franchise for F Zero, and th- that would become a Sega franchise, and a Sega franchise would go over to Nintendo, what would you trade? See, if see, if I was going to trade, I would trade something that's good for both sides. Like I wouldn't want to be like, oh, I don't really like. Um, Altered Beast, let's give it to Nintendo. No, I'd be like, something <laughs> like, I don't know, like, uh, Ristar would be interesting to see uh, a Nintendo developer take on that. And, like, mm-hmm. that would be interesting. Maybe Billy Hatcher. Billy Hatcher would be interesting, too. So, yeah, yeah. it's not in the notes. And uh, as for F-Zero GX, um, it was one of those times where, 2003, where I was kind of, like, not in the console stuff. I was kind of going away from it because there was no Dreamcast. I kind of didn't feel like I knew what I wanted to do or get what console I wanted to get. But uh, I was more interested on the Xbox because I felt like there was a new Panzer Dragoon and, and a Jet Set Radio sequel coming for that. That I kind of overlooked mm-hmm. the GameCube until way later on. And then when I came back and then started buying stuff for the GameCube, I started noticing like, yeah, a lot of underrated stuff like, I understand that they had the Sonic Adventure stuff, but they also had Skies of Arcadia with more content, which we talked about in another episode. And they had this. And uh, this is one of those games where I played on the GameCube and I was like, wow, this game has incredible graphics. Um, It was like this one and that Star Wars game they had. Remember the one with the ship battle, Rogue Squadron, I think it's called? Right, yeah, yeah. That Those two games right there, like, they blew my mind. I was like, wow, I didn't know the GameCube could do these kind of graphics right you always think of it as a child like little toy graph you know what i mean like it has to be below xbox but i think like panda right. dragoon orda rogue and like this game like rose squadron and this game are some of the best looking like on rail you know 
smaller games that could look that nice, right, on the console. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This game is fast. I vividly remember it being way too fast. Um, it's super hard. I remember my cousin was trying to unlock everything by doing it master difficulty. I was just watching him play, and I'm like, I don't know how you could stand this. You have to be like pinpoint perfect, like almost impossible. Like throw your controller on the ground, impossible. So this is an unforgiving game, very in line with Sega, I guess, or at least what people's image of Sega is. I think it depends on the franchise you're talking about. I think Sega is like... Mm-hmm. Could make some easy games, you know, mainstream friendly games, and then they also make super hard games like this game. So let's talk about the development of the game. Um, F-Zero GX is the fourth entry into the F-Zero franchise, and too many hardcore fans of the game, well, I guess this is considered the best entry to a lot of people, and uh, some people even say it's the best uh, racing game. Uh, since this has been released, they also had F-Zero Climax on the Game Boy Advance back in 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, the first time Sega and Nintendo ever worked together on a game, uh, developing a game. Even more, is the first time Sega would take... Uh, this is the first time Sega would actually do a, develop, uh, a Nintendo brand. I guess now we could... Do you consider Mario and Sonic a Nintendo brand? I'd, I'd consider it a, I would consider it a Sega brand with a Nintendo license. Mm. So I, I think to understand when the era of this happened, um, it was happening. Okay, so in 2001, Sega went third party, right? And uh, certain teams seem at this point in like time to have favorite hardware, Um one was obvious was Sonic Team and Amusement Vision really did like the GameCube and like gravitated mm-hmm. right away. Uh, Amusement Vision support for the GameCube came quickly after the company would go third party as it would debut their first game, Monkey Ball, in arcades in 2001. Uh, and then a few months later, they would in September 14, 2001, they would release uh, it on the GameCube uh, and then they would release a follow-up the next year. Uh, if you want to hear us talk more about Super Monkey Ball, you can check out Sega Talk episode number 21, where we cover every, all the monkey business you could uh, handle. <laughs> uh, right here, we're going to be... Uh, so what are your thoughts about amusement, uh, amusement Vision and Sonic Team uh, going to the GameCube? At the time, does, I know Amusement Vision at the time was a new team, so we didn't really know much about them. Uh, but right. does the aesthetic and the direction that we're going to... Sonic Team and them make sense on GameCube? Um, I mean, at the time, I was upset to see Sega splitting off their studios to different consoles um, because GameCube was the one I did not pick up. I think looking back, I didn't really miss out on too much. It's not like it had a big exclusive Sonic title. Um, but something like F-Zero GX would be a game that I would have enjoyed playing, even if it's a Nintendo franchise. I... I think it did make sense, though, for them to do what they did. I think Amusement Vision's games are very bright, fun, colorful, uh, very Nintendo-friendly. I mean, you look at Virtuous Striker. Um, what else is there? There's Spikers Battle. Um, I Honestly, I wish Ollie King released to the GameCube. That would have been pretty sweet, uh, but it never did. And I, I don't, we didn't get a Daytona on the GameCube either. That's kind of surprising to me. It would have been a cool 
thing to do maybe like a Daytona because they were doing years remember Daytona 2001 so they could do like a Daytona 2003 or something like that like a updated port with better uh, controls or something like that but since they had it like sense yeah they had the super monkey ball engine working on the racing game so it would have been interesting to like port the Daytona asset zone to it yeah for sure yeah um so after the release of Super Monkey Ball 2, it was obvious that Nintendo and uh, Sega were in talks about making a game together. Uh, it's not really a big deal for Nintendo to do this. I mean, they've done it in the past with third-party people. Um, Square Enix uh, in the past had done the Super Mario RPG uh, with them as you know together. So this time, since Sega's finally third-party, uh, this is the first time these two giants ever teamed up together, and they wanted to have amusement uh, amusement vision, which kind of makes sense because the team was made up of Nagoshi, Nagoshi uh, how do you say his first name? Mm-hmm. Tashihiro Nagoshi. And he yeah. previously worked on Daytona USA, like we talked about, in Daytona USA 2001. So, and he's had a history with working on the GameCube. So it, I, I was actually surprised at the time that it wasn't Sonic Team, but whatever, I guess. I bet Sega was like, no, no, you got to work on Sonic Heroes, man. So um, if you could pick another developer within Sega to work with Nintendo on an IP uh, during this time, who else uh, would be a good fit? And what IP would they be a good fit for? So a a, a Sega developer working on a Nintendo IP. Uh... I I could see maybe United Game Artists working on working with Nintendo either on something new and unique or perhaps taking a pre-existing franchise and giving it a new spin like maybe you could see UGA uh working on I don't know like a like a, a Pikmin game but like a completely different genre or something. I just, I think they would probably lend themselves to working well with, because UGA is not really bound to any sort of style. They're mostly like rhythm games, sports games. It might be interesting. I don't know. How about you? Um, even though they weren't around at the time and it's kind of cheating, I, I, I would always love to see Team Andromeda make a Zelda game um, with like... Mm their aesthetic you know that they had going on in saturn time like on nintendo hardware would be interesting but like i was actually thinking like smilebin making a uh some sort of adventure game i don't i I, for some reason i was thinking like a um i don't know uh icarus kid icarus i don't know something more smaller like a smaller franchise that you could do whatever you want with really um but yeah i it's interesting, like, when you start thinking about it, like, Sonic Team, what could they do with Nintendo? I would love to see someone at Sonic Team make a uh, full-scale Wario game. I know Treasure did one on GameCube, but I would love to see a Sega developer's take on that, too. I could see a, a Kid Icarus rail shooter from Sega. That could be kind of cool. The team, yeah. a smile bit that did a Panzer Dragoon Order would have been interesting. Yeah, or um, I guess UGA because they did Res. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, 
I have a theory that uh, Sega early on was trying to like spread their game strategically to see uh, where they would find success. But not only that, but also learn about customers in each console and uh, if they could play to their strengths. I think they were kind of uh, low on like they they didn't believe in themselves. I mean, I guess when you trash two consoles, it's kind of hard to see like, man, maybe we we don't have it anymore. Uh, <laughs> I also think that uh, early on, uh, Sega knew that uh, Toshihiro Nagashi was something special. I think they were like already kind of priming him to be take over. I don't know if you guys know this, but after all this stuff, he got his own studio making higher budget games, which we'll be talking about on here. Um, so Amusement Vision was basically a studio that primarily early on was founded with the philosophy of making games cheap uh, because Sega management one time complained to them saying that games were too expensive. So Nagashi was like, all right, I'll take it as a challenge to make very cheap games. And that's what happened with Monkey Ball, Super Monkey Ball, Super Monkey Ball 2. And I guess it makes sense at the time in the early 2000s because Sega was basically just coming out of funding something like Shinmu. So like they understood uh, the cost of spending too much on games that don't sell. And so mm -hmm. it's, it, 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 so it seemed that he, that Nagashi kept his, Stay cheap and over-deliver mindset when it came to developing F-Zero GX as he already modified an already existing Super Monkey Ball engine for the game. Uh, I do feel like Nagashi uh, learned a lot that changed him as a developer when he worked with Nintendo. It really seems he wanted to see why Nintendo was successful where Sega wasn't in terms of hardware and brands. He talked about this with Nintendo... Uh, uh, with Edge, he said, compared to us in the big picture, we are similar, but in the finer details, their decision making and timing, things are different. I learned a lot from them. In short, it's an objectivity. It's hard to describe, but when I do some part of the game, it's okay like this, isn't it? They say, our company doesn't allow this, uh, this kind of thing ever. I didn't manage to change their minds about anything, not even once. But that's why Nintendo is such a solid brand, even after all these years. That is why we lost the hardware war. I really like the no. Super, I really like the Super Famicom game. And while we made a few proposals, Metroid, for instance, and others, I was confident in making a driving game because it's my, because uh, of my experience in the genre. Though I never make a sci-fi one. All right, my first question to you with this quote is. What do you think about Nintendo having strong standards for their brands with rules they refuse to break? Uh, I know this could be a double-edged sword. Do you think this is something Sega has failed uh, with some similar or smaller IPs like, you know, like Golden Axe Beast Rider? They broke all the rules in the original games with that one. So do you think... Yeah. So what do you think about that? I don't think I would be here talking about Sega if they weren't the company that took risks and tried things. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but when it does for them, it really comes to define them both as a company and come to define some of their greatest games. Now you might say, you know, like, in my opinion, like some of the greatest games might be some of their weaker titles or not their AAA moments, but like, if, if I were to say, oh, I'd, I would have much preferred if after Jet Set Radio, they just played it safe, 
set up a bunch of rules for themselves and went into making the sequel. No, the sequel like throws everything out the window and presents a completely different experience and it's better for that. And I don't know, I, I feel like Nintendo plays it safe and it works for them. I wouldn't want to see Sega doing that though. Um, if you've uh, if you follow us on Twitter, Segabits, uh, it's <laughs> I've been bringing up the naughty Sega, which was in a Sega 60th anniversary interview with the um, current president and Sega Shiro, their mascot, and he was like, "Oh, you're... they were talking about I think the Game Gear Micro," and they were like, "This this is a little weird, but I like it. It's Sega being naughty. I like naughty Sega." And and I guess that's a thing over there with the, the Japanese uh, Sega employees where they're like, oh, we're being naughty, you know, and I, I think that's kind of fun. I, I like the, that mischievous side. Now, again, that also brings us garbage games, but when it when it works, it works. So I, I agree. It's a, like I said here, it's a double edged sword. Uh, I, I think it depends on context, like. I think like Streets of Rage 4 took new risk, new art styles, and uh, new combo system. It, but it also kind of had stuff from the old game that kind of, I think, pulled it back a little bit, like the movement speed to try to stay true to the old one. Uh, so sometimes right. some of the characters felt a little tanky. So, I, I mean, you know what I mean? It's give and take. I love Streets of Rage 4, so no hate on that game. Um, but let's talk about something else that he talked about in this quote. He says, during his proposals to Nintendo amusement vision wanted to do a Metroid game. Uh, is there any other IPs you think negotiating his team now that you know, their full history and talent, you know, with Yakuza and all that, any other IPs you would have thought that they could have knocked out of the park at the time? I, Hmm. I think they could have done a really cool, like physics-based Mario game, like I, th- I think if you take what they're they were able to do with Monkey Ball and bring Mario into it, like applying Mario rules to Monkey Ball, and they kind of started doing that later on in the series where they kind of platformized it a little more and added jumping and things like that. It it was weird there, but I could imagine if you had like a whole situation where like. Koopa trapped everyone in balls. Like, it's not going to be Super Monkey Ball Mario Edition, but I I could just see them maybe using that sort of experience for a big-name IP like that and presenting something fun. Because, I mean, to be honest, Mario, when it's not... Any other game that's not a platformer goes pretty wildly in a different direction, like racing, sports. Whereas with, like, Sonic, we see a lot of games that are similar to platforms so we'll have like 3d blast which is you know the three-quarter view um and i don't know you don't really see that with mario so i think that would be cool to present sort of a platformer but more of a puzzle based uh game like that how about uh ice climbers 2 the sequel <laughs> the two boys in back bad boys okay how about name uh, them. what are their characters names how about a real star fox game i mean Let's be honest, Star Fox Zero is in the real sequel, so they could have uh, finally had one with the, the good boys, the, the monkey boys doing it, you know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, one of the things the team of, uh, at Amusement Vision aimed to do is squeeze all the graphical power they could from the Nintendo GameCube and deliver an impressive-looking game. Nagashi talks about how successful they were by saying, after a release, I got a call from Nintendo. They said they wanted to see all the source code for the game. 
and they wanted me to explain how we made that game in that time frame with that budget in detail. They were wondering how we've done it. They couldn't figure it out. We were able to achieve something a lot higher than Nintendo had expected. Uh, what are your thoughts on Sega's team having to explain to Nintendo developers how they made their game on their own designed hardware? I I think what they should have said is just, you know when we were developing the game and you guys had all those rules? And they'd be like, yeah, and they're like, at Sega, we don't have rules, so that's how you do it. And they'd be like, oh. <laughs> all right, then no more rules. Uh, I, I, I snuck in here because uh, last night I was falling asleep. Let's talk about the 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 arcade version because I had to sneak it in here. I didn't know how to like put it in the. Oh notes. yeah, for sure. Uh, F Zero AX is a counterpart to F Zero GX, right? So GX stands for GameCube, right? And then the AX is the mm-hmm. arcade one. And in in lore in the story, there's technically two tournaments or something. They're saying that it's going around, but. People just go that GX is one tournament with AX being a circuit because in the game you unlock AX, the circuit. So people just mm-hmm. say it's a circuit within the GX circuit. So it's both of them are one tournament. All right. I, don't, I just wanted to explain that. I don't know. I don't know why it makes sense. I, it matters. But uh, the game was developed on the short lived arcade board Triforce which was developed jointly by Namco, Sega, and Nintendo based on GameCube hardware. Sadly, though, looking at the history of the arcade board, it seems that Sega was the biggest supporter, with Namco only releasing four titles, with one being canceled, a Star Fox arcade game that never happened, while Sega had nine titles, with some re-releases, which we will talk about one right now uh, a little bit. Even though Nintendo left the arcade space and hadn't done anything since the early 80s, according to Sega's Hiroyuki Sakamoto, he said Nintendo wanted to have brands appear in arcades during this time, and it's why they pinned a deal with Sega and Namco for a new arcade board based, uh, new uh, na- uh, hardware, arcade hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they kind of wanted to do what Dreamcast was doing at the time. I think they found it successful, you know, with the Naomi and the, Absolutely. the ports. It just didn't take yeah. off for them, sadly. Um, did mm-hmm. you know about Sega, Namco, and Nintendo teaming up in 2002 to make an arcade board? And what are your thoughts? I I don't know if I knew it or not, but I was reading magazines like Xbox Nation and I feel like that's a magazine that would have mentioned that news in, like, in other news in the industry because they were very Sega-friendly, being former uh, Dreamcast Magazine staff. Um, my thoughts probably would have been kind of like that. Like, seeing the GameCube mention, it really uh, brings to mind the Naomi arcade hardware, making it easy to port between Dreamcast and arcade, and also making it easy to have um, franchises exist in two areas and even when you um when you look at the ax machine you know it takes the memory cards and that's a thing that they did with the dreamcast as well where you bring your vmu to the um arcade and plug it in so it, it seems like a continuation of that idea but the problem is everyone needed to be all in and i think sega was the only one all in mm-hmm. so like nintendo didn't even make one arcade game like you can't have boy a, you can't have a triforce you know I, Obviously, about it must have been a, it must have been a rule. You know, it's <laughs> like 
you know when you see the triforce the the triangles are all the same sh the same size that means they're all doing the same amount of work yeah it's, yeah it's not it's one that. big sega square triangle but and then... it's more like that yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah that's when i first heard about this um it was when like remember in the early 2000 like 2004 2005 before sammy bought sega uh there was the whole rumors that namco and sega were going to merge together to make a super publisher arcade machine man and uh at that time <laughs> I thought, oh yeah, it's of course it's gonna happen. I mean, they, te they teamed up with Nintendo, and I thought, and then they and they might become second party to Nintendo, and I don't have to buy a bunch of Whoa. consoles. So I, that was my thought, and the reason I was one hundred percent convinced was because they did the Triforce arcade machine thing, that mm -hmm. literally had only like less than fifteen games. <laughs> like that's pretty bad for an arcade board. Yeah. So. Um, Back in 2003, Nintendo Online Monthly in Japan had an interview with director Hiroyuki Sakamoto and producer and supervisor Takaya Amamura. Uh, and they talked about the hardest part of doing the crossover. Uh, Sakamoto, the, uh, the director, said, The controls. GX is controlled with buttons and a stick. AX uses pedals, brakes, and a steering wheel. They're fundamentally mm -hmm. different schemes. The GameCube's controller range of input is surprisingly tight. So we wanted to uh, we wanted very fine grain controls. Arcade controls are relatively rough, so we turned it uh, we turned it so it would be fun to go ta uh, to town on the controls. We wanted both GX and AX to have the same feel, the same vehicle should handle the same way in both games. That was hard to achieve. Then later, the schedule became an issue, he laughs. Um, the cabinet, okay, so the cabinet of F-Zero GX, like you talked about, also featured a GameCube memory card slot. While you could, uh, that's, this will allow you to download and upload data to the machine. If you connect the card and have a GX data, you can unlock custom vehicles contained uh, so you could basically, okay, so GX had an ability called Garage where you can make your own custom vehicles. If you had your memory card, you could upload them in AX and play as them. But you can't access the Garage in AX. You can only have them if you brought them. And if you put it in, you could also gain uh, permanent access to the AX Cup, uh, new machine parts, and 10 new vehicles. According to mm -hmm. the internet, the AX cabinet, uh, the AX cabinets are actually very rare. That uh, that there's actually a site, according to the internet, that compiles places to play the AX cabinets in North America. According to them, there's only 20 locations, mostly in the West Coast. What's up, guys? West Coast guys, hey, what's up? I'm oh, sorry, sorry, East Coast, the Barry. Sorry, um, I'm not East Coast. <laughs> well, you're close enough. You're Chicago. It's like Cross the street. <laughs> Cross the street. It's like a stone's throw away. Anyway. I'm going to yeah. buy you a map for Christmas. <laughs> I know. It's all up here in my brain. <laughs> Thankfully, <there are laughs> Thankfully, there are a few ways to unlock these features without an arcade cabinet, but it's not easy. you got to basically play it and master difficulty. Look, dude, don't even try it. Like, I'm going to save you guys a lot of trouble. You're not going to unlock it. Just use a cheat or something, right? Um, have Or, you know, save the game file. Um, mm -hmm. Have you seen a F-Zero 
AX cabinet in the flesh. And did you know it was that rare? I knew it was rare, and I have seen one. There's one actually 10 minutes from me. So <laughs> it's actually open now. I mean, it's COVID, so I'm not going. But if I wanted to mask up, gl- glove up, I could go there. You could continue the show solo. I could play it. I could come back, and I could tell you about it. And Just take your phone with you and live stream while we talk. I could. I would love to do that someday. Maybe someday I'll live stream from... But... um. Yeah, a, a few thoughts about the cabinet. It's huge. Um, it's very, it's very long. Um, you sit in it, and you have to buckle a seat belt, a uh, buckle a seat belt for the um, motion to work. Otherwise, it won't operate. I mean, you can play the game, but it'll be stationary. So um, the one that you have that you went on is the blue one with the top on it, like it, with the plastic piece in the back. Because, like, okay. Yeah, I have one. I had one. Like maybe they took it down. Maybe, I, maybe two thousand eleven. They still had it. So it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Mountain Mike's Pizza, like ten minutes, fifteen minutes from my house, had one. And like I saw it, I, was, mm. I didn't know it was rare, so I played it. I didn't care. I didn't even know I had a memory card slot. I wish I did. But the one they had, yeah. like I was looking at them online. It's the more simple one. Like there's this. There's like three levels of it. There's one that's like stripped down where it's just the seat, the the steering wheel, and the, and the whole thing. But it doesn't have like the, the whole plastic to it, which I think we're going right. to see a video of in a little bit right now. But uh, so let's just look at this one. This is the, the they call it the deluxe version. If you're on the video uh, tablet, um, mm-hmm. uh, Fossil Arcade uh, did a quick look at it. Uh, we'll uh, see him looking at it. I'll skip around. But um, so this is the one you played, the the one he's sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is not the one I had. This one's huge. It looks huge. This is the. the... It is huge. Um, when you when you enter Galloping Ghost, it's right there at the entrance uh, to your right, and in front of it is the Galaxy Force uh, two machine. So it's like two of these massive arcade machines right C- there as you walk in. Is that a CRT it has inside? Um. You know what I. I believe so. This one like looks like a straight up like CRT shoved in there, but I guess that's how it. I guess that's how it looks. I'll have to check because I feel like there's a dedicated monitor and there's there's something going on here. Like this looks like someone just shoved a Sony. Yeah, like the the same TV you have in your room, right? Like yeah, it up in that, I like, have that in my basement. Yeah, I'll, I'll look into that. But yeah, that's a, a very good point. Yeah, the one I the one I played, the one I had, uh, did not have any of the fancy, cool deluxe features. Sadly, um, so mm, there was also a re-release version called a Monster Ride. This one actually lets you hover, so it's more realistic. Uh, it's the second video. Do you have it? Totally like a just. It does look like that. It looks like a Sony um, Wega. <laughs> Have you are you looking at the video of the, of the other cabinet? The oh yeah, let me check this one out. Right monster now. ride, and it, it actually hovers above the air, so it makes you feel like you're actually in F Zero, but the colors are wrong. Red, it's a red, but it's like oh, oh, this is like more of an amusement ride, right? Yeah, and this is a machine that's made for v- several different games, not exactly. just yes, yeah. So sort of like the R360 is made for two games. Exactly. And this was a yeah. new release later on. I 
obviously, if I haven't played the deluxe one, I definitely haven't played this one. <laughs> and I don't think a lot mm -hmm. of people are going to have a chance to play this one because I'm assuming it's just big amusement places in Japan. Right. And we've talked about this too, George, like not, not to blast Americans, but like Japanese machines are made for smaller people. And after 10, 15, 20, 30 years, these machines start to break down, like uh, just out of the sheer use. And I think size of Americans, like I, I have not ridden a fully functioning Sega uh, uh, full immersion game ever. I don't think. We got to get you know. Japanese people to understand that like the weight limit in America is a huge problem and you got to make right. it. It's like, what do you expect us to lose weight? Like get out of here. Yeah. Get I, out. I think when the R, when the R360 debuted at Galpin Ghost, I think they said it was like 350. Oh. And people were like, "Yay!" <laughs> Cuz yeah, 350 is a I'm I'm assuming some people were complaining in the comments like, "Come on, dude, you couldn't make it 450?" Sadly, thousand. Come on, well, me and my buddy. I want him to sit on my lap. Um, yeah. Covering F Zero GX, one of the one of the things that surprised me is how big the game is. Like, I didn't even get all the notes I would want to do, and I have like eighteen pages of notes. Um, in the past, F Zero games, uh, they were pretty bare bones. At least I thought um, this game uh, had a brand new modes for the franchise, including a nine chapter story mode. The story mode actually uh, took into account the previous titles uh, and even took to the fact that GX and AX existed. Uh, so can you actually read the story summary with your best announcer voice? Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, after the f Zero. After the F-Zero-X Grand Prix where Captain Falcon took the grand prize, the F-Zero committee developed two more F-Zero Grand Prix to be held simultaneously, the F-Zero-GX and F-Zero-AX. The contestants that participated in the previous Grand Prix were selected to race in the GX, while newcomers and former champions were selected for the AX. After completing all of the preliminary races, the qualifying pilots from both tournaments would compete in the combined final race wow what a story mode okay guys uh, i think that's basically reading how races work yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean in the story you follow uh, uh captain falcon and uh and it has more it's mostly kind of like you're playing a fighting game let's think about it. or like yeah. in a scenario you have to race uh, yeah, cool is he a captain for something or is that just his name what's his deal his first name is captain his last name is falcon I don't know, actually. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's not how it is. And I know a bunch of Nintendo fans. You know what? I didn't even, I didn't even know yeah. there was a Captain Falcon when I played the game in Super Nintendo. I didn't know there was characters in this game when I first mm -hmm. played the Super Nintendo. Um, so, yeah. I'm not going to say too much about, <laughs> about the characters on here. but I, Well, you'll see. There's 40 characters in this game, by the way. And they all have their own profiles. Oh, let's go through all of them. We're not yeah. going to go through all of them. But... <laughs> There's 40 of them. Each one of them has their own theme song and their own profile. And some of them are pretty interesting. But let's talk about one of the new features called Garage. Oh, actually, it's not new, but it's improved on the, from the ground up. So, And it's actually one of my favorite features in this game, so I had to put it in here. Just like past F-Zero games, this title also has a Grand Prix mode, which has... Oh, I, man, what the... Okay, so we're talking about the Grand Prix modes. All right. Let me get the images up. Here we go. 
had a Grand Prix mode, which had five cups, this time being called Ruby Cup, Sapphire Cup, Emerald Cup, Diamond Cup, and AX Cup, which we talked about mm -hmm. being the, you know, in the story. As you know, the AX Cup is based on the arcade version, but Ruby, Sapphire, Emerald, and Diamond are basically Pokemon games they're referencing. Mm -hmm. um, let me see. Trying to, here we go. Okay, here we go. One of the biggest features for me in F-Zero GX was the garage mode. Uh, while I always thought it was the first game in the series to have this feature, it was actually introduced in F-Zero X expansion kit, which uh, I never knew even existed because it was on the Nintendo 64 Double D. <laughs> you ever hear about that? Which was only released in Japan. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were, you were like, is George talking about gibberish right now? Um, regardless, Garage in F-Zero GX is completely retooled by Amusement Vision, where they let you create custom vehicles with body parts, cockpit, cockpit parts, booster and booster parts. This time around, you can rename or uh, you can't rename or choose your stats. The stats are set by the parts you uh, decide to pick. You can still change the color and uh, of parts you customize, and you can also put four custom emblems. Uh, so let's talk about the emblem editor, which is basically kind of like uh, GS uh, Jetset Radio Future. I mean Jetset Radio, where you could do your own custom tags. Uh, you'd be mm. able to. It's like a scaled down paint program where you can make your own emblems for your car. They would take three blocks of memory. Um, so just think about how graffiti's work. Uh, you had the ability to save up to four custom vehicles per memory card taking up a total of 18 blocks and you could and you could load them from A and B so you could technically have up to eight custom vehicles at any time without standing up from your bed like just have two memory cards in eight vehicles custom ready to go the penis mobiles are all there all eight of them hmm. as you know the, the name of your vehicle changes based on the parts you put together if you put the right parts together you get a special machine the game has 64 customizable parts to collect and seeing as there are a ton of customizations, there is a lot to do. I looked through the special machines, which had 54 possible ones to unlock. I uh, looked to see if the names used in the special machines had any uh, Sega references. And not really, but I'll name some of them that I thought might be. Uh, Carbuncle, which is a character in uh, Puyo Puyo. That, doubt this is what they meant. Dragoon, yeah. which is, you know, Pan's Dragoon. And lastly, Blue Streak, which is a minor nickname, I think, for Sonic. What do you think about Blue Streak as a Sonic nickname? Nah. That's well. That's in the the theme song for the Saturday morning cartoon where they go Blue Streak speeds by. So. Something like Butt Streak, you know. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, uh, personally, uh, I think uh, Amusement Vision's customizable parts idea was pretty brilliant at the time, and had a lot of fun doing it myself. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, on did you ever play the customization? I played around with it. I thought it was really cool. I really liked the uh, emblem editor. I like the idea that you can unlock um, special machine names. If I'm thinking about like current Sega titles, closest I could think is actually Team Sonic Racing, which I think I think people get too bogged down by it, it uh, missing out on a lot of cool Sega references and focusing too much on the team aspect 
to remember that it actually has a pretty cool uh, customization mode. Not as deep as this, but I, I think it actually would have done well to take some of this into account and maybe put a little bit more editing in because it's like <laughs> you know it's a game that's made in 20 what 2018 2019 compared to uh 2003 so that would have been cool but i i liked how f-zero did it i think it's very cool F- okay yeah um let me see let me get the notes sorry it's just that i something popped up on my thing and and now we're going to talk about the characters all right so one of the other aspects of F-Zero-GX is how many damn racers the game uh, squeezed into it. The game has 30 racers, each having their own character and vehicle. As you play, you unlock 11 more, including Deathborn. What a, what a name. Which uh, is considered character 00, double zero. Uh, that would mean the game has 41 racers to play as in F-Zero-GX. Each of these racers have their own character design and profiles, even though you don't really see them when you race. Whatever. Uh, we don't have time to talk about every single pilot since there are 40 of them, but they're very interesting designs in the mugshots. And the mugshots in here don't do it justice. Let me put the mugshots up. Uh, I want to talk to you about one character, and I'm sure you're seeing them right now. What, how do you describe this character you're seeing right here? Mr. EAD. Um... Describe them to the it people looks... that are only seeing this via, uh, like, audio. All right. So think of, think of like, Danny DeVito playing uh, uh, Robotnik in the new Sonic movie, but they put him in a white leotard, and then they give him blue underwear and stick a Mario, like, power-up star on him, and then put him in red high heels. And then, <laughs> and then they stick two, like, Frankenstein bolts to his neck. Ooh. Yeah, that that seems about right. That's how I would describe it. He looks like those guys that show up in the uh uh that um what's that meme? You know, like like uh filthy Frank memes. He looks like a filthy Frank character, doesn't he? Yeah, he kinda does. He looks like he would be hanging out <laughs> with the crew, right? Um Yeah. What yeah. do you think about that thing between his legs? Like what <laughs> like Nintendo's like you can't do any anything else. But they, this thing has a this guy's packing a massive whatever celery thing that is. What is going on there? That's like is that a part of his foot or I have no idea. And he's wearing there's a lot of and he's wearing women's shoes. There's a even for like a render, there's a lot of clipping. So yeah. I'm assuming it's like a part coming through his leg. I hope so, because it's it's like yeah. Nintendo looked at this and they're like, Yeah, no, this is cool. We could put this in the kid game. I, we have I, rules, but this is fine. Yeah, this is cool. This is all right. Yeah. Um, I wanted you, with your cool voice, to read. Uh, we're going to look at the 10 characters that uh, were created by uh, Amusement Vision. Uh, can you? They have pretty short profiles. Can you uh, introduce them? And I'll be hitting the images here for each profile so our audience could see them. Okay. I'll blast through this. So we have... Phoenix. Known mainly as Phoenix, he is a space cop that hails from the 29th century. As part of the Galactic Space Police, one of his duties is protecting the timeline from criminals who are known to escape into the past or future to do damage. Besides his duties, he is also a brilliant mechanic and designed his own time machine, the Rainbow Phoenix. He also restored the discarded QQQ to be his partner. Wow. 
Wow. That's beautiful. weird. Beautiful. Um, and then we have... We have... What is this? Princia Ramode. Princia Ramode. All right, here we go. Princia Ramode is the princess of the desert kingdom on the planet Magica, a society with high advanced scientific knowledge. Her characteristic curiosity often leads her into mischief and gets her into dangerous predicaments. In order to increase her wisdom and life experience before becoming queen, she secretly ran off with her servants on an adventure to a host of other planets. When she arrived on Earth, she happened to catch a glimpse of an F-Zero Grand Prix and whimsically decided that she, too, wanted to race. Knowing that no amount of persuasion would budge her once she sets her mind to something, her servants were left with no choice but to prepare a machine that fully utilized the scientific technology of Magicka. Beautiful. Okay. What do you think about her design? I mean, it's so weird, right? Like, okay, now we have a princess. Uh, yeah, she looks like she's from that uh, Arabian fight game from Sega. Or oh, she yeah. looks like a fighter from uh, uh, Fighting Vipers. She just needs some, like, armor or something. And there was people that made <laughs> uh, Fighting Vipers working on these games, surprisingly enough. But, yeah, uh, the next guy. doesn't surprise me. Yeah. The next one is QQQ. Uh, QQQ is a junk robot that was found buried in a scrap pile in the Galactic Waste Management Facility. It's still unclear why it was discarded there but it was coincidentally picked up from the heap and repaired by a very a very able space police detective named Phoenix and quickly became his partner. For a robot, QQQ's construction is quite obsolete, but its artificial intelligence is still considered cutting edge for any age. God, he has the longest bio. QQQ is tortured by the knowledge that some very important data lies somewhere in its AI programming. Since the robot was damaged when it was thrown away, its memory cannot currently access it. The truth of the mystery data is this. QQQ was brought from the future by Phoenix and has the necessary navigation hardware to traverse time. However, if its AI is not not repaired, thereby restoring its memory, it will never be able to return to the future. It's just a racing game, guys. You have to have lore built in. Talking about Eggman, the next guy was like super Eggman inspired, right? Oh my god, look at this guy. Don Genie is the famous head of Universal Traders. He's been arrested several times by, for secretly trading in energy resources and weapons. Each time he's arrested, he's forced to pay a small fortune in bail to get himself free. At this time, it's unknown whether Don is participating in the F-Zero races because he wants to publicize his trading company or whether it's for fun. One thing's for sure, though. It must be related to some sinister gambling ploy he's put together. It's rumored that Don Genie has some connections. That's how you say that word connections with black shadow the emperor of evil uh oh <laughs> he looks like he kind of looks like the villain from knights like the the big guy um but like in human form or he looks like uh uh black arms from shadow but like mixed with don like a don corleone and a genie <laughs> it's very weird um and then he has black shadow the do we talk about black shadow black shadow what do you mean black shadow he works with black shadow the emperor of you okay we will get to black shadow great um next guy is digi boy 
Digiboy's real name is Terry Getter, and he's a young genius currently attending Einstein Academy. Well, he's just a kid, he's been dubbed Digiboy because there's no digital device he can't deftly use. He's even invented many of his own. He's also analyzed every past F-Zero race and has subsequently devised a perfect equation to work out his self-built machine so that he can win the next race. In his dictionary, there is not such word as luck. Gotta hate this guy. So this is the guy that like comments and goes, actually, guys, I um know every single F Zero game from the ground up, and you guys are wrong. Digi Boy is the best. Um, and he's like, he he looks like he's almost cosplaying as Mega Man with his legs. Um, but then he's throw from like the uh, virtual was that virtual uh, what's that game called the the really crappy um, virtual fighter RPG with little kid with the yeah, he looks like that, but he has pigtails for some reason. Like, he's a boy, but he's got, like, pigtail hair. God, I don't like this character. This and next one's... guy in the next, uh, in the next, in the next <laughs> Sega event, I'm going to cosplay Digiboy. And, I'm Digiboy uh, from I F-Zero. Do, I do want to say that he was so edgy, they had to censor him in America. In Japan, he had a line where they asked him if he believed in God, and he says he doesn't believe in such delusions. So he's an edgelord <laughs> for sure. Wow. <laughs> um, now this one looks really weird. Uh, Daigora is the only is the only son. Oh, what's that? Oh, he, this guy straight out of like Panzer Dragoon or something, right? No, he looks like he's from that anime, and I'm One Piece. He looks like a character from One Piece. There you go, One Piece samurai. Yeah, like straight rip. Uh, Daigora is the only son of Samurai Gora. He's so bad that even his father can't keep him under control. Daigora is a master swordsman and loves to run riot with his sword whipping through the air. He has immense respect for his father and will boast about him regarding any subject. He hopes to earn the praise of his father by defeating Captain Falcon, his father's biggest enemy. As a pilot, he has more aptitude and potential than any father oh then his father and many are eager eagerly awaiting to see what kind of pilot he grows up to be oh i mean a delinquent yeah and he rides like a he rides a go-kart what a stupid looking car um now this one looks this looks like the okay i'll i'll read what it is and then i'll describe it the triplets come from the planet shinar the average lifespan of these beings on shinar is 200 years, extremely long compared to that of Earthlings. However, even after reaching adulthood, they remain quite small because they use telepathy. They don't need to speak to communicate. Dai, San, and Jem have incredible teamwork skills and an amazing ability to operate their machine as one. Dai takes care of the handling, San handles the navigation, and Jen handles acceleration and braking. So these guys look like, um... Uh, they look like they're straight out of, like, spirited away. Pretty much, yeah. Don't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, they look weird. They look like something you buy at a Chinese uh, like gift shop. Very weird. Uh, they're like basically that. three Chinese guys. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know what they thought about. They all look like little dictators from North Korea. All four, three of them. Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Anyway. Well, the good thing is, is one of them will kill the other two. That's how it works in North Korea. I think. And so. if you're in North Korea listening to this, I'm really sorry to. I don't think that's how it works in Earth. Somewhere. No, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, next up, we have Lily Flyer. Lily is affiliated with the reserves of the Galactic Space Forces and has received extensive warfare training. Beginning shortly after she was born, she was has always received excellent marks in her training classes and has even participated in recent scrimmages as emergency support. While she sometimes displays the air of a naive little girl, she strictly obeys every command of her superior officers and aims to execute all of her responsibilities perfectly, regardless of their nature. Lily has entered the F-Zero competition simply as part of her training. She hopes to polish her snap decision-making skills under pressure. Perfect. All right. Next up we have... BD Joe. No, wait, this is a different guy. So this is PJ with his groovy taxi. Uh, PJ works as a cabbie for Galaxy Cab, a company whose taxis travel from planet to planet all over the universe. As the biggest earner at Galaxy Cab, he is demanded an increase in wages, which resulted in a fight with the owner of the company, and he wound up earning him a temporary suspension. PJ saw an article about F-Zero races, and it changed his life. He took all of his life savings and transferred his taxi, into an F-Zero machine. Can he really take the driving skills that he forged as a taxi driver and use them to win the Grand Prix? I like this guy. This is my favorite one out of all of them. I think that, like, this is based off of, like, it has to be some based off of, like, Crazy Taxi, right? Right. He looks like a baby giraffe, too. (laughs) Yeah, he kind of does. Um, He looks like a baby giraffe wearing, like, a Knights into Dreams kind of costume. For some reason, the, 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 the next two people uh, pictures are not saved on my uh, my gallery. So basically, the, the two bad guys, which are Deathborn, the Emperor, and the, uh, a magician called a Spade, we could skip them and go to the levels. But uh, what do you think about these characters? Like they're pretty all over the place. They, I mean, I understand they're trying to make this whole, like these guys are all coming from all over the galaxy. They're trying to make strange characters. Uh, do you get this feeling? This is what the franchise was when you played the super Nintendo version, which literally had no story or any of this. No, I mean, like I said, I, I don't really remember much of the, the racers themselves from the super Nintendo one here though. Not only are they varied, but they look like they're from different games, which is not a, bad thing because i feel like it gives it kind of that uh uh sonic and sega all-stars racing feel like you look at um the triplets and it reminds me of like the chow you know and you look at uh lily and it reminds me of like Ulala. you look at pj and it's like bd joe so it's got a little bit of um even the villains like spade kind of looks like a knights in the dreams villain whereas black shadow kind of looks like some edgelord Darth Vader wannabe. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's cool. I, I, I think the character designs, by and large, are are fun, different. I really like that each one has these, like, super deep bios. It kind of reminds me of when you read the uh, Shenmue strategy guide, and it'll be like, oh, there's the guy who runs the burger stand. And then it's like, here's a paragraph about his life, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing Here's is, his blood type. Oh, we need oh, Japan has no. I'm surprised they didn't have all their blood types on here. But uh, yeah, the game also allows you to unlock ghosts of development staff. Uh, you have to basically beat a track in try uh, time trial mode and come within ten seconds of the staff's members' time, and then they'll uh, be unlocked. 
and then you'll be able to buy them in the in-game store. Uh, this will take three blocks apiece to save. Feeding the staff's goats rewards you 25 tickets for the game shop. A staff ghost is also used in the final chapter of the story mode as one of the three creators that races against Captain Falcon. Uh, according to online resources, these ghosts are made up of, by Nintendo staff members, not Sega. So sad. Mm. I kind of thought it would be interesting to play like some of the people that are still working on the Yakuza games. I'm like, are they even good at uh, F Zero? I wanted to see if I could, you know, beat them, but Nagoshi and all those—they're not playing the game and uh, uploading their ghosts. Sadly, um, <clears throat> the next thing we're going to talk about is the tracks. Uh, this game had. Uh, let me see. Well, I have the those here. Had 12 venues. Each venue had obviously mul multiple tracks. They were used assets, but they were 12 venues, which more than half had to be unlocked in super hard, <laughs> in the super hard game. I don't know if it's super hard, but but let's talk about some of the, the stages, I guess. The first one we're going to talk about is called Outer Space. Outer Space is actually a brand new game uh, level for AX. Uh, it was once a space colony, but it was hit with a, uh, by a large group of meteorites and was re rendered useless. The F-Zero execution project was able to request that the track uh, be made from what was left over of the station. Though successful, the track is full of dangerous hazards. Every F-Zero pilot fears this place. The next one we have is Phantom Road. Uh is of course okay so this is in gx only this is the first time ever appearing uh, in gx it has two different tracks and totals is an area covered by mysterious secrets rumors say that it's actually a black hole expanding uh, explaining the odd behavior of the track other rumors say that the track is com a completely compu computer generated a track in cyberspace or a whole new dimension the ultimate challenge uh, Phantom Road is actually kind of based off of Rainbow Road. Uh, mm. So the team's take on Rainbow Road, they called it Phantom Road. Um, Cosmo Terminal. Uh, this is also a GX exclusive first time uh, level. This Cosmopolitan Terminal uses high-tech elevators, which ties the ground with space. It is considered at, as the new mode of transportation where it substitutes the tracked elevator. Presently, the, cons uh, the construction has reached a height of 86,000 kilometers. I don't know how much that is. I'm American, sorry. Um, <laughs> like, that's like a lot of feet, though. <laughs> but because the budget is exceeded substantially, construction has a rough going. In a circumstance, the F-Zero execution project constructs the circuit, uh, whatever. It's it basically an elevator uh, stage, all right? Uh, the next one is called Green Plant. Uh, because of the explo uh, explosive increase in population in humans, uh, humans have been forced to immigrate to other parts of the universe to secure necessary means for life, especially oxygen. To ex exist in this struggle, biotechnologists have created plant plants of unusually vitality, using them to build a completely automated oxygen-generating facility, the Green Plant. The plants, however, turn out to be more intelligent than humans, and while faithfully fulfilling their function as oxygen generators, breed qu quietly throughout the universe. That's kind of scary. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if uh, plants could come back and, and be like, you know, uh, we're now we're smarter than you. 
the next. Well, that's a M Night Shyamalan movie, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Uh, the next one is uh, an oldie, uh, Sand Ocean, which came from the first F Zero. Is a desolate planet whose entire surface is covered in sand dunes. This planet's extreme arid frontier planet is thought to have been completely void of human life for many years. However, in F Zero GX. It's revealed that the, uh, the ruins of a 30,000-year-old civilization have, was found within the desert, along with a monstrous life, uh, alien life forms by fearless adventurers. This resulted in the planet becoming one of the most popular tourist destinations in the galaxy. Uh, the next one is Lightning. Uh, lightning is an area where the climate was once calm, but air pollution created pep perpetual lightning zone. This extreme air pollution continues to destroy the ozone layer. Now, the frequent bolts of electricity which hammer down from the sky are harnessed and put to use by innovative power companies. The total power generated in the efficient recycling facilities exceeds 10 million gigawatts. I'm assuming that's a lot. because you know, That's a lot. The yeah. output is so great, in fact, that Lightning now uh, exports its excess power to neighboring planets. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fire Field, this is another one from the original, was once the greatest places in the galaxy to harvest minerals, but in the leading resource uh, resources company was too greedy, digging too deep and hitting volcano. It caused a huge explosion and turned the planet into a fiery hell full of extremely hot magma. So, uh, and then we have Aeropolis, right? Is that how you say it? Aeropolis? Aeropolis. This is the same time I had with the Sonic level that has the same basically name. Anyway, this is basically a supercomputer level uh it's controlled by Mother Q, which stores and computes detailed information on all the citizens to create the ideal living in, uh, environment. Because of the dramatic population increase, Mother Q has created skyscrapers that can regenerate themselves, breeding new structures to house the ever-increasing population. Uh, Mother Q kind of reminds me of like Mother Brain from like either Metroid Prime, Metroid or uh, Fantasy Star, depending on. What? I can see that, yeah. Yeah. Casino Palace uh, is a first course. I mean, it's a course in GX, brand new. Um, located in the entertainment district in the outskirts of Mute City, Casino Palace is a magnet for people seeking to increase their material wealth. Dome-shaped entertainment facilities fill the sky with neon signs making outrageous claims. And the streets overflow day and night with tourists who are willing to believe them. Fortunes are won and lost again every hour and every day, and now the area is even more popular thanks to the arrival of the F-Zero circuit. Um, Port Town, which uh, appeared in the first game, um, is famously known as the Intergalactic Trade Center and is the home of Bounty Hunter and F-Zero racer Captain Falcon, who lives off the coast on the Chain Islands. Port Town's architecture is marked by towering skyscrapers and pyramid-shaped office buildings, and the town is bordered by mountains. A giant construction robot that looks like Rob from the uh, in Famicom colors can be seen in the background, 
on the two buildings in F-Zero. Um, GX, obviously. Uh, Big Blue. This is actually one of the, the, the levels I had like ingrained in my head when I played this as a kid. So uh, it's from the first game, obviously. Big Blue underwent a significant change in appearance and look much more industrial than the other games. With buildings, hotels, underwater tunnels, etc. Found all over the circuits. Uh, the planet has strictly uh, protected by nature conservative groups over the long time, but it is rumored that a new energy source laid down in the, at the bottom of the seabed. Investigations started right away, although no discoveries have been found. Right? Uh, and the last one, probably the most famous, probably Green Hill Zone for F-Zero, New City, the heavily populated fictional city on Earth in the F-Zero series is originally named was Mutant City. From the current name, uh, well, it's not that anymore. Uh, the uh, the city is most famous location in F-Zero Grand Prix, pre, sorry, and has had courses in many, in every single F-Zero game to date. The population is over 1 billion, and it consists of all kinds of sentient life. In F-Zero GX, Mute City is known as, as a metropolis at the heart of the Space Federation and the information linked to the entire universe. And it is also regarded as the most advanced, sophisticated city life in the universe. In the future, Mute City is replaced by Bionica City as the center of economic, political, and cultural activity in the galaxy. All right. So the game's trying to add more, obviously, when it comes to, like, uh, these tracks, right? So they're trying to make it like, oh, this city did this, now it's changed. Trying to make it feel like they evolved over time, like they're not like it was in the Super Nintendo game. Uh, when you played the game, did you know any of these history of these maps or any of these background of, at least of the, the race tracks? It's interesting that they spend Nothing. so much time doing this when most people are just going to be going like, boom, 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 going fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> But uh, let me see. Uh, let me get the, the, the tracks up since we're going to be listening to some tracks right now. Um, let's talk about the music, right? We talked about the music last time when we uh, talked about Ghostbusters. You played a few tracks. We thought that was interesting. So we're going to do a little bit of that right now. Um, this game was com uh, actually written by two composers, Hidenori Shoji and Daiaki Kasho. Ka Ka Kasho? Uh, Hidenori Shoji, who is best known for making, at this point, uh, Fighting Vipers 2. He also co-wrote uh, Super Monkey Ball 1 and 2. He uh, later is going to work on the Yakuza series, and if you listen to his tracks on here, you'll see a lot of influence that reminds you. This is basically uh, the remixes of some of these tracks, which were heavy metal. He kind of made them more like Yakuza, where it's like this heavy electric music. But still heavy, you know what I'm mean? talking about, Barry? And uh, Dai Daiki Kasho, according to my sources, Daiki was actually uh, created themes for the characters uh, in the game. Uh, there are over, they're like over 40 characters, so he did over 40 themes. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he's mostly known for his music in Gran Turismo and also uh, doing the theme song for The King of Fighters, Another Day, an anime that came out in the mid-2000s. So let's look at our uh, first track. Our first track is, uh, first I have to play the music from the speakers, so let me set that up. But uh, 
The first track we're going to be looking at is from the is Mute City, which they kind of did a. Uh, I mean, what what did they really do? They basically did a remix of it, but like I don't know. Let's let's listen to it, and, and you tell me what you think of it. I'll play it over here. I think you'll be able to hear it on the mic. Can you hear it? A little bit, yeah. So see. It's good, right? And yeah, like, it, it sounds it, like um, you're kind of typical. Sorry, go on. I was going to say, it sounds like kind of like your typical futuristic racing music. Kind of reminds me of um, that stage in Sonic Heroes where it's like in the power plant. Yeah, and I'm going to play it a little bit forward because it takes a little while to start up the actual melody that everybody knows. I just want to play the original Super Nintendo one, kind of in that point where there was already the melody, you know, um, just to see kind of the difference. Um, so. It's more simplistic, more melody-driven. It's like metal, really. So they definitely changed it uh, in their own style. Um, I was such a huge fan of the first one that when I first played the game, I was actually kind of upset. It kind of grew on me It's as its own style, its own take on the franchise's music. Uh, what do you think about that? For sure. Uh, do, you, do you think that Yakuza-fied, I guess I would call it? <laughs> That's what I would call it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the Yakuza-fied. Yeah, I, yeah, I get that from it for sure. Um, and uh, the next one I want to play is from the Lightning Stage. Um, this one's an uh, original track because it's an original racing track. Uh, let's listen to a little bit. I'll play it in the middle of it, some part of it. 24 seconds in. If I told you that track was in Yakuza, <laughs> would you believe me? I would, yeah. yeah. Do you why? Because <laughs> like a lot of the stuff that w when I was w uh, listening to this, it really reminded me of um, of basically Yakuza. I was like thinking to myself, like, wow, this is actually like they just this is the guy from Yakuza, obviously, but it, his style yeah. and remark. I mean, I could tell right away it was him, but yeah, I don't want to say more. That it just sounds like Yakuza music, but Nintendo music. So uh, here's the, the other guy that did the themes. Here's his theme for uh, Deathborn. <laughs> okay. He's got like a brain. Look at that, dude. It's exposed. Oh, wow. It's like a creepy Halloween thing. And each... Let me put it up a little bit. Too. It's very Halloween. And I kind of feel like a lot of this guy's like themes for these characters were kind of like uh, throwing in the ocean because like nobody really like there's 40 characters. I can remember every single one of the themes, you know, it's not stage themes, it's right. not track themes. That's yeah. nice. So I want to give the guy a little shout out and play one of his uh, tracks he did. 
He's mostly known for uh, Gran Turismo, and if you Google his name, the, the, the composer, some very naughty stuff comes out. So if you're easily offended, watch it. There's some memes playing around with this guy's name. Uh, I showed it to you last night. Just wanted to warn people. Oh, that, right. Yeah. Promotion. Since Nintendo was going to be the publisher of F-Zero GX, the burden of promotion fell on Nintendo, and historically, the company has been really good at promoting even minor franchises. No surprise that we have a lot to talk about here. One of the things that Nintendo did to promote F-Zero GX was giving out a promotional demo disc with pre-orders of Mario Kart Double Dash, where, uh, where you can play Captain Falcon on Meat City Twist Road. Uh... As you know, Mario Kart is the highest-selling franchise on any Nintendo console it appears on. But I wish that, I mean, personally to me, I kind of wish that, like, it wasn't just a pre-order bonus. Like, no matter what time you bought this, you could have gotten the disc, you know? Um, yeah. Have you ever bought a game with a promotional demo like this? Where, like, where, have you ever bought, like, a game where you got a demo with it and then you decided that you're going to buy the game after you played the demo like has that ever convinced you um i mean there's the situation with uh, sonic adventure 2 the trial on fantasy star online where as much as i was excited to try fantasy star which i was a franchise i never really got into i was really looking forward to playing uh sonic adventure 2 so that's kind of like a reversal of that um however I'd say maybe the closest I could come is like the Dreamcast demo discs where I just like fell in love with Power Stone and I was like, I got to get this game because that was, you know, a time where demo discs really were what they said they were, where you would play through like eight different uh, little levels and then you were kind of making your shopping list based on that. So you'd be like, Trick Styles, kind of crummy, I don't want that, definitely want to get Power Stone might rent ready to rumble. You know, it was that sort of situation there. So, um, yeah, that definitely, <laughs> that that was one instance like that for me. How about you? Um, for me, it was definitely when I, uh, so, okay, I didn't buy the game, but I really wanted to play the demo, but it was basically Dragon Quest Eight when they, they had a, I forgot what Final Fantasy game it was. It might be 12, I'm not sure. But they had a demo disc of eight and since they never brought over really like at that time square and enix never really brought over their dragon quest yeah. games and it was kind of like the first time they were doing it and i was always obsessed with reading how crazy japan was for dragon quest and i'm like there has to be something here that i'm missing right so when it was finally coming i wanted to support it and i was crazy but i didn't want to buy a final fantasy game just to try it so i had to beg my friend when you borrow a demo disc and of course he made it super hard because they had to uh had to pry it out of their hands but regardless that was one of them i definitely sold me on that game and i bought it when it came out um i think another one for a lot of people is the crackdown demo um crackdown is one of those surprise hits i do know that there was a crackdown 3 not that long ago i, I mean i haven't played it but crackdown alone was pretty sick so that demo definitely got me to buy it um Let's talk about some of the print ads that uh, my, uh, they did for this game. Um, they were actually very hard to find, surprisingly enough, because, like, I've actually had no trouble finding Sega ads, right? 
Uh, you okay, Barry? Yeah. Okay. I had. Uh, I had a sneeze. I had a brief moment. Okay. Yeah. It's all right. I was gonna say, uh, here are some ads, right? So it took me a while to find these, right? So here's, as you can tell, they were hard to find since I have a picture of the ad. Like somebody took a picture of it, like laminated. Oh wow! Like people are buying these things, like these pictures. Like I don't know if you know this, people are selling these advertisements for magazines. They're ripping them out, out and selling them on eBay, and they have value. I I see that all the time because I will I will do eBay searches for like strange games that don't really have much merch hoping to find not only the game but maybe like a store display or something like that and i will always see this and it's the stupidest thing like the one i see a lot are um sonic lifesavers and it's like oh it's a comic book ad i'm like yeah i have probably 30 sonic comics where that's the back page like just sell the fucking comic book don't cut it out it's such a waste one ad have you read a gaming magazine from the past like 30 years they're filled with ads like why is that one ad suddenly like cutting it out makes it worth more than the magazine itself i'd rather you sell me a magazine and be like oh by the way there's an ad in it <laughs> it's just so stupid yeah like it's so stupid they're selling them for like 10 bucks a pop or something like that like it's not like an egregious amount but it's also like egregious when you think that like there was probably like 15 ads in that magazine that was probably worth $5, but he's selling it for $10 yeah. a pop. Yeah. So anyway, this is Stupid. one. I actually found this on a Reddit thread where the guy said he bought it and it was a Japanese ad, but it's super obviously not a, 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 a Japanese ad because it has a USRB in the corner right there. Regardless, Dummy. it's a speed redefined and it's a, a racer for those not, uh, in the audio podcast. So it's, a, it's a racer setting up to run. And his shoes are actually uh, the hover carts uh, from the game. And then on the bottom right-hand corner, there's a few screenshots, very tiny. Um, doesn't really show off the graphics, which I think were a big aspect of the game. So to me, I think the North American ad is just whatever. Um, yeah. It's one of those, like, they're trying to be artsy but not showing the game. Like, am I, I, as a kid, this wouldn't make me want to buy the game, by the way. So how do you, what do you think about this one? I mean... I might have mentioned in the past, I've worked for marketing teams. I've I've done marketing for major brands. And, like, I can see this being pitched and I can see a creative director going, oh, yeah, so it's like speed redefined. Okay, yeah, find a cool stock photo, make his shoes. I really like that. Oh, that's really, really. And, like, no one's there going, um, this is a video game. Can we show screenshots, like big screenshots? And they're like, ah, we'll put them in a little graphic at the bottom. We'll also show the the console for some reason. <laughs> and like the logo of the console. So it's really only four very small cropped screen. It's so stupid. I don't know. Like people overthink it all the fucking time in marketing. And it's just like, guys, you don't need to overthink it. Video games, big screenshots, characters. That's all we want. Uh, there's another version of this ad for the UK, and it's a double-sided version, but it's I didn't even bother putting it in here because it's as useless as this because the other side has no screenshots. It had like a, like two other words. I forgot what it was. It was like – I think it was just – Careful. I think it was just speed redefined but on the other side, and it was just the mountains. Yeah. There was literally nothing there. It was like just the, the, the mountains with nobody there on the other side, and they did that as a double-page ad, like a super waste. Yeah. Well, careful though. Remember, we've we've been said that we Americans like to uh, push the British 
the the European stuff aside. I love our British listeners. You're the one that has a problem with British people. I don't know what they do to you, man, but they're awesome. I love you guys. Oi, 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 oi. I don't know, that's uh, my British guy. The next one we're, t- we're talking about is the Japanese one. Uh, obviously, we don't know what it says here. But this one really took the screenshots and we're like, this is what the game is. And it's insane. Look, the screenshots are overlapping. Overlapping screenshots means crazy. Everyone knows this. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, this is definitely a lot better than the other one. Um, this would sell me on the game more than the other one would. What about you? I like it. it. It looks like more than a racing game because it almost feels like you're seeing cutscenes, you're seeing like environmental shots, and yeah, I, I think it's cool. It just it gives you a really good, varied look at all the tracks. Um, I'm a longtime fan of the Wipeout series, so seeing this, I'm like, oh yeah, this is cool. It's like Wipeout, but with crazy characters. Um, all for it. I love this one. Yeah. The next one is the ad for the North America. Uh, it's like a flyer, the uh, arcade flyer. Uh, the first one has Captain yeah. Falcon, and I forgot this girl's character's name. You read her profile. It's one of their... Is that Lily or something? Yeah, and uh, it says, at 1,000 miles per hour, you better not blink. And then it says, the future of racing has arrived. And it has the big, fat, blue Sega logo on the left and the ugly communist Nintendo logo on the right. <laughs> Get it out of here. Yeah, I love them both together. Just joking. Um, yeah, um, very simple ad. Uh, here's the other side of the ad where it's uh, their other character, that princess that came from another planet that uh, wants to race in F-Zero. And it has a bunch of lettering where it's like they're trying to squeeze all the features into it. It's like a thousand features. And even the typeface is all ugly, too. It's like they couldn't yeah. fit it all in there. <laughs> um, I hear you. Uh, let's, let's look at the first commercial we have right here. Um, I have to put it up. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let me, let me put it up. Oh yeah. This is the 15 second ad. This one is talking about, uh, the speed of the game. They're really like hyping it up. Uh, I'll play it. Let's see if it's not too loud. It's very loud. Make your heart rate. What do you think about that whisper there? Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's, it's GameCube. Sorry, guys. This is not a Sega Dreamcast. This is not a Sega Dreamcast commercial, guys. Sorry, I just. It kind of gave me a Sega Sega Dreamcast vibe, doesn't it? That commercial. For sure, yeah. Except instead of you know, like with the Dreamcast, it was like flying into the swirl or something like that. And then this one, it was the the heart the heartbeat. I like that one. That was cool. Uh, the next one is a. I think this one's better than the last one. This one plays up more of the customization in the game, the cutscenes, and uh, makes it feel bigger than the other one did. The other one's just playing off the speed. Uh, let me. Uh, let's play it. One, two, three. Pretty extreme ad right there. I thought that ad was really well done. I think 
It played on the speed, the quick cuts of Sega, that style that Sega had back then. It plays on the, it kind of features almost every little aspect of the game, like in subtle ways, like the the miles per hour going up. Uh, it's a fast game. The quick cuts, it's a fast game. The custom, they said it's, it's customizable parts. There's cutscenes. They showed the cutscenes. They look high quality. Uh, I think they did a good job on that end. Liked it. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the legacy that this franchise left behind. Unsurprisingly, for a lot of people uh, listening to this, this game was very popular and, and with the critics, it received an 89% on Metacritic with 50 reviews. Nintendo World Report gave the game a perfect score stating, with excellent controls, track design, graphics, sound, and customization, this is clearly the best best F-Zero game in the series, and one of the best games on GameCube overall. Yahoo said, few games deserve the high praise we're, we're willing to lavish on F-Zero GX. Finely tuned, tightly balanced, and exceedingly fun. It is a step above and beyond any similar game that has have come before. GameSpot gave it a 86%. The extreme increase in difficulty Difficulty will surely turn some people away before they've seen the 20 tracks and unlocked all the story mode chapters. But if you want a light speed racer that looks and plays sharply while simultaneously offering some dramatic challenges, F-Zero GX is exactly what you're looking for. And uh, I think this is kind of like a trend now. The worst score was given by a site called Game Critics. And this is not the first time we've talked about these guys. Uh, mm. last time you made fun of them, you're like, oh yeah, game critics, more like game crap or something like that. Um, lame critics. <laughs> there you go. Um, which seems to be <laughs> the name I see coming up when we have to talk about who hate the haters, right? So this is what they had to say about this game. What should have been a fast, flashy, lighthearted affair is somehow grim and joyless. Uh, there's wonderful content here, but unfortunately, most gamers won't ever see most of it because it's locked away behind a series of un- of near impossible challenges. They gave the game a 60%. According to Nagashi himself, the game would sell 1.5 million units worldwide. So the legacy of the game is pretty high, with many calling it the, one of the greatest racing games of all time. I uh, I do think uh, I do think the way Amusement Vision was organized and over. The, delivered products on a small budget eventually led to the merger of Amusement Vision to Sega to make a team of 128 employees that would work on a epic and film-style titles, which later became Yakuza. The year after F-Zero GX, Amusement uh, Vision released two more games before merging. Before merging, Ollie King, which uh, this was when the Smile Bit staff uh, Ported, uh, merged into uh, Amusement Visions. They made that game. And they also mm-hmm. made, I don't know if you consider this one of their games, but they're credited for it. Shining Force Resurrection of the Dark Dragon on the Game Boy Advance. I see it as Sega usually, but it's in their page. So I just put it on here. So as for Nintendo, it's unsurprising that uh, people had been asking for a new F-Zero for a while. While the franchise had more titles after it on the Game Boy Advance, the fans have wanted a proper follow-up to F-Zero GX. In a 2015 interview with Smosh Games, Miyamoto, who was a producer with Negoshi on this game, said, maybe if we create a new type of controller interface, 
and we find a controller interface that's particularly suited for F0, then maybe we'll do something with it again in the future. Uh, what do you think about Miyamoto's like approach that it needs its own control scheme or it needs no. some sort of control gimmick? No, no. This is the guy who's like, oh, Mario Galaxy has to be playable by going like this constantly. Like, I get it. I, I, I love Miyamoto and the games he makes, but like, sort of like with Yu Suzuki, sometimes you just want it, like, you hit your head against the wall. You're just like, dude, you do not need to wait for another controller interface. There are racing games out there right now using controllers that exist. Come yeah, on. There's like that 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 uh, Nintendo Switch game, Fast RMX, that uh, remind, yeah. looks a lot like F-Zero, and that game is like... <laughs> come on. I mean, I agree with you 100%. It's like, there's GameCube controls you can connect onto the Switch. Like, if people this want is, to use that... This is the Nintendo control scheme. It's been this for years. You know, like... What are you waiting for? It's just Miyamoto being him. A steering wheel? It's Nintendo being... Okay, so uh, rumors have been flying around about Nintendo having a new F-Zero for Switch. One of the reasons is that Takaya, Takaya Amamura, who uh, worked on every F- F-Zero game in some capacity that has been released or announced, uh, hasn't really been working on a game since F- Star Fox Zero. That's his last credited game. Uh, and oh, I've, actually, his last credited game was Starlink Battle for Atlas, but that wasn't made by Nintendo. It was he was just there to consult about this them using Star Fox. So the last product he's released as a full scale product was F, F, Star Fox Zero, and that was in like 2016. So this guy's just working on something we don't know yet. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people believe it's going to be a new F Zero game. Um. But I'll, we'll, I'm going to close up this episode with a quote from Nagashi where he talked about the when he talked to us because this is from the Sega Bits interview about the possibility of a new <laughs> F-Zero GX back in 2012. He said, I'd like that if I ever had the chance. Racing games are not so popular lately. This is back in 2012. So it would be fun if I could suggest some ideas from different angles. Whether I've considered it in details, now that's a secret. Ooh. Um, yeah. So Sneaky we're going to close up this episode by reading some of your F-Zero GX memories. See? I gave a dramatic your. pause. You. The audience. <laughs> and, um, of course, this was a pick from Tyler. We read his memories at the beginning, so thank you so much for picking that. If you want us to cover any game, you can just check us out on Patreon. We have a tier for that. You can do it for a month and then jump back to the you know, lower tier. Or you can keep it going like some of these guys have been. And we've been on uh, a pretty good streak of like covering um, Patreon-selected games. I really enjoy it because it, kind of, it surprises us. It, it keeps us on our toes and it's stuff we might not even consider. So, you know, you might be going to us, Oh, why don't you cover snail maze and we'd be like well we'll never do it and then they go ah but i'm backing you now so you have to do it so you never know but um so to wrap things up here are our patreon memories so we have nicholas schaefer he says so well my first console was a sega genesis my second was an snes and one of the three games i got with it was f-zero so when a nintendo franchise i love had an entry by sega i had to own it it did not disappoint 
I have to admit I'm not the best at GX or racing games in general, but it is just so cool to play. And then we have TH. He said, I bought this game back when I had a GameCube. I remember when I first started playing. The sheer thrill of the ridiculous speed in the ships shot up to. At first, I could barely believe that I was supposed to play this game. It made Wipeout and any other racer as well seem so slow by comparison. I got addicted to the speed. Oh, don't get addicted. And he said, I just pl- I just played the hell out of it. You guys can swear in these too. Like, I'll drop the F-bomb. Um, he said, I spoke ab- about the game to a workmate. And to my surprise, he had it and loved it too. He also had a video projector. And let me tell you something, playing this game on that setup is incredible. It blew my mind. It's one of my most fondly remembered video game memories, playing F-Zero GX on that massive screen. Wish I could do it again. And then finally, and this was submitted as we were talking earlier, Daniel Andres uh, eked in and he said, F-Zero GX, never played it, but I'd really like to. I don't know. That Sega developed this game until much, much later until in my life. For now, I only own the first two F-Zeros on SNES and N64. I really do need to get this game someday. And yeah, if you guys want to check it out, it's out there for sale. The price really hasn't lowered. It's like 60 bucks or more. So it's it's rare, but it's not like different than buying a brand new game rare. So you could also that. emulate it on Dolphin if you really, really want to, you know, not pay anything. I'm not trying to condone piracy, but I wish they would re-release this game. That'd be sick. And, uh, That'd be awesome. I thought, I thought Daniel emailed us before and told us that he kind of wanted us to cover this game, so I don't know why he hasn't played it and wanted to cover it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys thanks for listening next time we have yakuza zero so if you guys back us at one dollar tier we'll read your memories of yakuza zero if you guys remember that very retro game <laughs> peace absolutely bye bye